Hello and welcome to the Health and Focus with Jacobus podcast. I am your host, Jacobus Holloway. The purpose of the show is to talk about health, healing and healthy lifestyles in a format that is down to earth and pretty easy to comprehend. Most shows will be conversations with experts in the field. However, sometimes I will do a podcast on my own, tackling other topics that interest me. The focus is on information, education and even some entertainment. It's not a program where we diagnose, treat, or cure any diseases. In case this podcast and topic tickle your interest, please continue your own research by discussing it with a preferred medical professional, by reading books on the topic, or by doing more research on the internet. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and that you will become a follower for more show updates. Also, please sign up at my website, healthinfocusnow.com, and receive updates on podcasts and articles. Thank you so much. Now let's go to today's guest and topic. My guest today is Mary Evans. Mary is a fifth generation Montanan who lives in Bozeman. She grew up in the eastern part of the state and graduated from Montana State University in 1983. Mary has been married for 39 years and has three children and six grandchildren. Mary has spent over 30 years of her life in the health industry. She has certifications as a personal trainer, a spin instructor, a yoga instructor, and a medical exercise specialist. She has lived with a passion to help herself and others to live healthier and happier lives. Mary has worked with clients and friends from many diverse backgrounds, including professional and amateur athletes alike, and with people needing guidance through pregnancy, physical rehabilitation, posture realignment, and overall health goals. In the last 13 years, along with the physical aspect of health, Mary has uncovered hidden truth around nutritional deficiencies and toxic overload. She firmly believes that a sound nutritional program can provide excellent benefits and healing for all sorts of ailments and challenges. As such, Mary embarked upon a nutritional detoxification program over 13 years ago that, she maintains, has kept her healthy and vibrant. Mary is the first to tell you that she hasn't always lived a life of healthy decisions. In 1990, 33 years ago, when Mary was just 30 years old, she decided to have breast augmentation, breast implants. 33 years later, after much research and more than a few aha moments, Mary decided to have her implants and the resulting encapsulated scar tissue removed from her body. Mary made the decision to have this explant done after learning the truth about implants and the impact that they have had on her health and life. She believes that had she known the truth so many years ago, she never would have made the decision she did. Now she wants to share her story and impart some information and wisdom to anyone that might need to hear. If you'd like to contact Mary, go to maryevanshealth.com, maryevanshealth.com. So without further ado, welcome, Mary. Let's talk about your journey. It's really nice to have you in the studio. (laughs) Yeah. It's nice to be here. Thank you. That's quite the introduction. You you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, Mm -hmm. on and off, and our boys played together, played soccer, and so mm-hmm. then you get to know parents and you see each other, and 
I've seen you through a retail business, but we never really had this kind of connection until my daughter found out that you have been going through this procedure. And she said, Mary may be a great guest on the podcast. So I reached out and here we are. Yeah, I went public with it on social media. Mm -hmm. And um, it was for the same reason I'm here today, just to create awareness, because there's several things I wish I would have known <laughs> mm, yeah. that, you know, throughout the years I've become aware of. But I think when you make up your mind to do something, you look for only the things you want to hear and understand. So Good point. Um, but if, um, if I would have had just a little more knowledge, some more clarity, I, I still to this day believe I never would have gotten the implants back hmm. then. What are some of the things that you're thinking about now that made you come up with that conclusion? Because um, I'm, I'm sure right. you started to read and learn, like you say right. in the introduction. Right. Well, um, I like to say I have, you know, if I would have known five different things, just these simple five things, I, I probably would have made a different decision or I would have thought about it a, a heck of a lot longer. Mm. But I had no idea, one, that the implants had a life to them. I was mm. told. I didn't know that either. Right. I was told that they were good for life. Yeah. These are good for life. But it's true that now you do sign a release form understanding that they need to be switched out ever, every um, eight to ten years. Oh, and I think wow. they're even lowering those numbers to perperhaps every six to eight years. Wow, right? And I think if a person were to know that, I know from myself anyway, that I was looking at another surgery in eight years, that would make me think twice. Hmm. You know, surgeries are not something that I look forward to doing. No, <laughs> no. And never want to really be put under, but sometimes they're unavoidable. Was the second thing that I wish I would have known is, the chemical soup that implants are made up of. Hmm. So all implants mm -hmm. have a silicone bag. So The uh, bag on the outside. The bag that holds the fluid. The right. Whole, yeah. And they're all made up of silicone. All these bags are, whether the inside is silicone or saline, saline mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. The bag itself is silicone. And that is made up of a chemical soup concoction that... Had I seen what that was, mm -hmm. it would have definitely caused a red flag, and I would have thought further about it. Now, back in 1990, would I have? Maybe not. Maybe mm -hmm. not. You know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known what formaldehyde was doing in there, or black ink, or xylene, or ethanol, or these things. I wouldn't have even thought about it. Paint thinner. Yeah, paint thinner. <laughs> exactly. Um, talcum powder. Talcum powder. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would like to. I'd like radio. to go over. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to go over the list, but not right now. But just those that we mentioned. We'll get to it later. Being in there, mm -hmm. being of uh, toxic chemicals that definitely leach in your body, and that's another thing. It was told that these are inert. They were. It was told to me, and in 1990 was the fact that um, these are inert to your body. Hmm. It's it's silicone. Your body doesn't care about it. We put these in, and there's um, a film that's created around it. It's called a capsule, and that's the body's way of protecting it itself from these implants. Mm -hmm. Even those words should have made me go, "Wait a minute, why is it trying to protect itself from these?" Yeah. But it, you know, from there on out, it's just the same thing that these uh, 
These implants are inert to your body. In other words, they mean nothing to your body. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a statement that I took to heart and believed. Yeah. So the third thing I wish I would have known is that fat transfer was an option. Always has What's been. That? Fat transfer. You can, you can pull, if you feel like you, your breast, and that's part of my story. I mean, the reason I was looking to get breast implants is because I had basically been um, nursing my babies for three years. They were mm -hmm. born 14 months apart. And mm -hmm. so I went from one to the next. And for three years, I was nursing. And afterwards, I was what I referred to as suck dry. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and literally, I felt like I dented in, and more importantly, I felt like a boy. I felt like I looked like a boy, mm. and I really wanted to have a feminine feel back. Yeah, you yeah. know. So that was that was my approach in why I was getting them, and there was no such option given to me that there was fat transfer was an option, and it's it's always been available. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, I really, that, you know, for people today, I don't think it's even talked about a lot today. Yeah. But um, you can avoid the toxins from those. Where do they bags. remove the fat from? From the belly or the buttocks or leg? It depends or... on the person, obviously, right? Okay. Where do they have fat? Yeah. Right? Um, they like to, from what I understand, um, and I don't have all the details around that, but they like to pretty much from the, the buttocks area. Oh. When I had my explant, um, she said, you know, I think you're fine. You have a little bit of breast tissue here, and mm. you may be able to snap back, even though you know you are 63. But she said, and if not, in a year after everything settles back down, we could do a fat transfer if you wanted oh, to. Oh, you can still do that later. I could. Huh. Uh-huh. But does and, the cavity... And she looked at me, and she yeah. said, well, you know, you're pretty lean, but we could go through your inner thighs. So that's what she said to me. Wow. Yeah. And this is the explant surgeon yeah, that yeah, does yeah. not do implants. She does mm. not perform that surgery. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting thing. But that would have been available back when I was 30 because I had excess tissue. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, when they put implants in, they actually make a socket. So they carve out a socket for the implant. Oh, wow. You know, they have to separate the yeah, soft Yeah, that's tissue. what I would say. So the same with the fat transplant, they probably have to create a socket again, right? Right, but you have you have some sort of a socket already there because you had big sure. uh, nursing mm -hmm. boobs, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then you had um, a saggy yeah. skin, and mm -hmm. that's a socket in okay. itself, mm -hmm. yes. So they don't have to, unless it's a, a pure, a, unless it's a teenager or somebody who hasn't nursed. I mean, it's for obviously for different reasons, and you perhaps bet. they would. Mm -hmm. I don't know the procedure for that. So, But it wasn't an option for me. I mean, it wasn't presented. There was no presentation of an mm -hmm. option for that. I also wish I would have known that in order to do an inframammary incision, which is placing the implants in below the breast, that they have to cut the pec. Okay. That was never even discussed. And I'm one of those where I have to find out every little detail, and I actually yeah, kind of yeah. want to even be awake and watch a surgery. I'm, really? I'm, that's, I'm just kind of... Built that way. <laughs> I am. I, I have to know things. I have to see things. And that was never even discussed. That that, And I didn't even know that my pec had been cut until... This is back I in 1990. No, the, no, I had it through the armpits in 1990. I had no. a replacement in 07. And how did and they do it in 2007? Under, also uh, under the breast. Under the breast. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, and that's when the pec was cut. 
Okay. And that wasn't discussed. And mm-hmm. I didn't know it. I did not know that I had my pec cut. So the so the first time around, it was not under the muscle. It was, it was through above the, the armpit, and, and it was on top, top of, the of the muscle. muscle. Okay. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So to know that is probably important for people to know. And and literally, I'm here today just to create awareness, mm-hmm. not to make any judgments or to say don't do something, but just to have all the information for people mm-hmm. to have information because yeah. information can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. And then. The fifth thing I wish I would have known, and I think with uh, maturity and aging, you really start to look at life differently, but I wish I would have just known that my chest and my body were actually already perfect. Mm. I didn't need to do that. Hmm. You know? It's interesting. Because I have to tell you the freedom I feel now. I mean, that is the one word that I can say I feel after having them out gone, not apart, and not fighting my body. I feel freedom. Pretty much like a teenager freedom. Mm. You know, they were in the way a lot, and they were always foreign. Now, Mm. uh, could I have articulated that when I had them? No, because I tried to stuff those feelings, you know, because once you make a decision to do something that big, you go with only the positives, what's good about it, right? Um, But it was always foreign and never felt quite right. It conflicted with the rest of wow. me. Wow, yeah. immediately. Wow, it's yeah. interesting. Because yeah. you were so convinced for yourself to do it, right. no matter what. That's right. There was nothing that could push you off that rock. Right. You know. Yeah. And, now, and now, indeed, what you say now is, actually, I was perfect the way it was. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. So, your journey mm-hmm. with... Uh, breast implants. Uh, what what exactly happened to you? I mean, you say you were breastfeeding, and then, you know, you felt you were really indented almost. Uh, how long ago when you started making co- connection? Also, so first I want to understand your story, but also, what was it at some point when you started making a connection between things going on in your body and mind, and your implants on the other hand? So when did you realize I got to get rid of this? But first, I want to understand what happened. Right. Um, kind of a well, continuation. Should just, yeah. Should I just tell you my whole story from the beginning? Yeah. I, I think uh, when, when you tell your story uh, you know, from your angle, people will hear you and say, that's my story. Yeah. If because it is. That, for, yeah. I, I've been, ever since I known that we were going to do this podcast, I've been listening to other podcasts about breast implants. Mm-hmm. And the stories are heartwarming and every even though every story is unique there are certain things that overlap right but i've been listening to the stories and i hear differences that are going wow that's really something yeah so please. and it's different for every woman yeah. right tell your story and apparently men are doing this too but it's different for everybody let's mm-hmm. face it no, um, totally again i i really want to create awareness because i think there's a lot of women out there suffering in silence because, you know, to get implants in the first place is a pretty private thing. Yeah. And it's, it's based on vanity. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seduced to some reason to believe that this is what we need and should have, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's not something people like to talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think it's important to talk about it for that reason. But I, I, I want to throw in, because I know you and your life adult life based on fitness and helping others and right. working on yourself. Right. When you think about it that way, 
the vanity part, you realize how many aspects of your body and mind and face and eyes Mm -hmm. are all part of this, how can I look the best I can be? Right. It's your legs, it's your calves, it's your butt. Right. It's your your shoulders, Mm -hmm. it's your boobs, Mm -hmm. it's your face, your hair, Mm -hmm. the makeup, everything comes with it to make you feel Wow, I feel really good about myself. Right. So why is there indeed so much focus on on the breast and the breast implants? Interesting. Right. To me. Right. Very interesting. And I guess for me, it was mostly because I had had them, mm-hmm. and then didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can't transfer experience, but you can <laughs> transfer true. some knowledge. Right. Yeah. True. So, I just back in 1990. I was 30 years old. I started having babies when I was 25, Mm -hmm. 14 months apart. So basically for three years, I was nursing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And um, I was, uh, I remember saying that I felt like they sucked the life out of me because there was nothing left of my my breasts at that time. And I actually indented. I felt like I indented. Felt like a boy. And... I was sucked dry and sucked flat. <laughs> I mean, I had these conversations with my girlfriends, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We were living in Denver at the time, mm-hmm. which is kind of an important piece of the story because oh. the culture was so much different than what I had come from mm-hmm. in Montana. And we'd lived for um, a year or two in San Diego and then in Minnesota. And then we were in Denver. And our whole plan all along was to come back to Bozeman, come back home to mm-hmm. Montana. Mm-hmm. And um, we were living in Denver. It was actually just a, a beautiful time in life because, mm-hmm. you know, starting your family and all of that. But I remember one day, I um, remember when you used to get the newspaper and you used to read a newspaper? <laughs> you remember I those still days? get one. <laughs> Do you? I still get a newspaper. <laughs> well, we used to. <laughs> and there was a sitting around having breakfast and I saw an ad and it was a breast augmentation ad. Mm. And I showed it to my husband. Mm-hmm. And he kind of gave a sarcastic laugh. And I thought that that laugh meant, because I had my own story in my mm-hmm. head going on, right? I thought that was like, yeah, we should look at that. You should do that. And it's, you know, it was all my own perceptions. So I took off on that. Was done locally, so-called Oh, local. yeah. As yeah, a matter yeah. of fact, it wasn't even a mile away. Okay. But, and I didn't even, I didn't even check out other doctors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I took the ad. And yeah. called the number <laughs> yeah. wow. and went in and did a consultation with him, et cetera. And then I had my neighbor take me the following week. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, my self-esteem was pretty low. Mm. And I, why was it low? Because I felt like I looked like a boy? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Maybe it was a lot of, you know, it's, it's traumatizing to become a mother and to go, you know, those, so total change of life, right? Yeah. But I also knew I was going back into the workforce, at some point when the kids got into school. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I felt like doing that was going to help my self-esteem and my confidence levels and, and give mm-hmm. me back that femininity that I wasn't feeling. Yeah. So I made the appointment, did the consult. And again, now I really want to point out this is 1990. Yeah. Things were different then. Yeah. Uh, the doctor took one look at me and said, well, if there ever was a candidate for this, it's you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I didn't shop around and I didn't ask too many questions. I mean, I had a pamphlet that basically told me everything I needed to know. Yeah, at that, that you time. wanted to know. 
that I wanted to know yeah. is exactly right. And he was a big proponent of um, inserting through the armpit, um, which I didn't know any difference. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, was, oh, I wouldn't have thought that's how it was done, but that seems interesting. And, and he was his reasoning was that it was much more less invasive mm-hmm. to the breast tissue mm-hmm. itself, and you would always have, you wouldn't have the chance of hindering nerves. So you would always have great sensitivity, yada, yada. But they still have to make, even going through the armpit, they have to go in and make a socket. Okay. Right? So there still was some risk of that, losing sensitivity, et cetera. Okay. But that's how we did it. And it was like a six-week recovery like everything. Most of them are, right? I figured I could handle that because the kids are old enough. They were four and five, and... um, I just figured, you know, I can I can handle this, and that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And so within a month of having that surgery, I developed what I thought was encapsulation. And they told me that this was a, a chance that could happen. And when they make the socket, yeah. basically for it, you know, they create their, yeah, it's they create scar tissue. Correct. And makes sense. Yeah, and that um, can grow and create an encapsulation. And encapsulating the um, implant is like smushing it, and it may, might get hard. Okay. And that's what I thought I had developed. What What did you feel? It was riding high. The left one was riding high, and it was harder. But why would it move the implant if you... Th- if, if more scar tissue kept correct. forming, it would, it would push it up. It would, huh? Uh, well, that's what I was under the impression from the... Information Surgeon. I was given, right? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so I went back in, and he said, oh, that's probably what it is here. Let's push this down. So he literally got up on the table and cranked on my left chest and pushed it down, and I heard a pop. Yeah. And that was probably the first rupture. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. And it What never, did he say when he heard the pop? And instead of saying, you know, maybe I didn't make the socket low enough or deep enough? No, that's, it's got to be scar tissue and it just needs to get back into the socket. We need just to break the high. scar tissue mm-hmm. kind of. Break the scar mm-hmm. tissue up. And that's what he told me that pop was, the scar tissue. Okay. And it could have been. I don't know, but I do know that it always rode a little high and it was hard. Oh. After that experience, I mean, I was traumatized and thought, well, first of all, I'm never coming back to this person. Oh. But... <laughs> um, I just have to live with this because mm. uh, there was no way I was going to undergo another So was surgery. it unsightly? Was it something that you no, get you comments on or no. you knew it? You I felt knew it. it. You could hide it okay. for the most part, you know. And I never was one to wearing a lot of cleavage out there anyway. So, And it wasn't about how the cleavage landed. It was like if you looked at me from the side, you would see one was a little higher than the other. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we have irregular breasts all the time. And most of us do have irregularities. A lot of them is very uneven. Right. Not very uneven. It is, it, it varies in a lot of women. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just how we're made. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I decided to live with it. I told myself it's not so bad. I got what I was after and I'll live with it until I can deal with it down the road. But for now, I need mm-hmm. to get on with life, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And within the first year, I had lumps form in my armpits, which were concerning because, you in know. In both armpits or one? Both. Only? 
both. And it was concerning because, you know, um, along with the implants, they recommend that you have your annual mammograms mm-hmm. with implants. I know, which yeah, I thought was kind of odd, but it was. I was very fortunate because yeah. I had a girlfriend at the time who had gone before me in yeah. this endeavor, not to the same doctor or anything, but there was a clinic down there that specialized in implants and just breast health overall. And they did a real um, structured type mammogramming. Um, and sometimes it would just be it was definitely with the mammogram machine, yeah. But they had they had the system down to okay. do it right, you okay. know. So they push it back and they and they basically just squeeze the breast tissue in front of the implant. Yeah. Now, unfortunate for me, my implants were over the muscle. Correct. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It it wasn't the best of circumstances. So, the, but the thing for me is when when I try to visualize this. Mm-hmm you obviously are not getting a full picture exactly. of the entire breast. There could be something happening behind the implant, but all they do is they are able to see the part that is being squeezed by 27 pounds of pressure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it really was inconclusive, whatever they would say. Right, right. And, you know, the breast tissue or the tissue that they need to be looking at for a mammogram is all around and through the armpits, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so... It was noticed right away that I had these lumps in my armpits, and mm-hmm. I had ultrasounds done from the very first mammogram on, and it was determined that this was silicone that was encapsulated by lymph nodes. Really? Yeah. Already? So there was a leakage? Within the first year. Wow. And the thought process, or what was explained to me, was, well, because they went through the armpit, that was the channel that these implants went in. And if there was any leakage or rupture, that's the channel that the silicone's going to come back out. You bet. And so it's going to be in the mm-hmm. armpit. Mm-hmm. And you're so fortunate that your lymph nodes encapsulated this and it's protecting you. Okay. And it was, even from the get-go, it's, we are not going to take these lymph nodes out because your chance of lymphedema is really high. Hmm. And, hmm. Um, you know, you see that a lot in, in breast cancer survivors they mm-hmm. get the lymphedema and it's the thought process from the first doctor through probably six others that I've talked to about it that did ultrasounds on me as well on the lymph nodes said the danger the threat of taking the lymph nodes out is a higher risk than leaving them in because your uh, body's doing what it's supposed to right, do by encapsulating right, right. that yeah. so good point each doctor conferred that so yeah so life goes on right and in 97, we moved back to Montana, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, I'm still thinking about, I've got to get these things out. I've got to get these really? things out. Really? 1997 yeah. already? Yeah. Huh. Right? But I had to put it on the back burner because, you know, we're moving a family of five, mm-hmm. and we're starting new careers and getting into new schools and things like that. So I didn't take action on anything, mm-hmm. but I did start checking out doctors, start okay. listening to what other people were doing and, yeah. and checking out doctors. And fast forward, when the kids are graduating from high school, yeah. 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 <laughs> I decided to visit a doctor and get them taken out. And that was in 07, 2007. Correct. And I had chosen a clinic over in Billings because I... So the implants were done in Denver? 
The first implants were done Denver. in Denver. Okay, good. And again, through the armpit yep. and over the muscle. Correct. Right? And then you went to Billings. And then in 07, I went to Billings, mm-hmm. and I said, I need help. I need these out. Well, why? Well, this one's hard, and it's riding high, and I've got silicone in my lymph nodes in my armpits, and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be anywhere else. I don't have any other lymph nodes that are showing up, but it's they just have to go. They've been... You know, I've lived with them, and it's time to go. And the more I talked with the surgeon, the more he convinced me. And I I do believe, you know, he had a good point. He said, you're too young, you're too fit to just take them out and not have a chest. It will be a total mind screw with you. Wow. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, the other thing I'm concerned about is I've heard about a lot of um, autoimmune issues developing for women with implants. Because mm. in 07, mm-hmm. this was being talked about. Yeah, yeah. And he assured me that there's been definitely some talk about it, but you cannot 100% pinpoint the implants to creating these autoimmune issues. And um, he said there's been, you know, the implants were even taken off the market for a period of time, and they've made them even better. Basically, by making them better, they're just more of those chemicals in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, to make them more gummy-like okay, and pliable yeah, and yeah. softer. Huh. And the biggest selling point was that he was uh, a cardiologist hmm. and gone plastic for his last 10 years of his career because oh. he just wanted to use his artistic abilities better. And, oh, he um, was an artist too. <laughs> well, he, yeah, and he was, you know, he had done all he could do with it. It's interesting to think about that. Cardiology field, I yeah, believe. Why not? You know, if you, you know the basics. Right. You've done surgery, you know how right. to open up and, and work with an anesthesiologist yeah. and recovery, et cetera. So do something different. And he was honest about it. He yeah. said, and there's more money in it. Mm-hmm. And I get to really help people, you know, that aren't super sick. I see. You know? Mm-hmm. So then I started quizzing him about his previous career as a cardiologist and how he must have seen if this was real, this breast implant illness Hmm. thing was real, he must have seen it throughout all the surgeries he had performed and all the cases he had seen Mm -hmm. in that career. And he said, yeah, you know, you would think so. And I I could not pinpoint anything with Hmm. that. And yes, have I done surgery on women that had implants? Yes. You know, it makes the surgery a little bit tougher, but there was not these other issues that they're talking about. Right. So I had great confidence in him. And I, instead of having them just out, I had them replaced and with smaller ones. And these ones were now under the breast, mm-hmm. inframammary is what they call that. And again, I did not know that they had to cut the peck to do it mm-hmm. in in my anatomy thought yeah, process, yeah, the, yeah. the pec would come across and attach to the rib cage. I didn't think it had anything to do with the incision below the breast, but right. not the case. So long was story short. Was that a painful thing, uh, the, the cutting of the pec? I, I mean, we're talking to the, all the, the, the pec was detached from the rib cage then. Correct. Right, okay. Right, and was that a painful thing? It's all the same when you have an incision mm-hmm. in your chest and mm-hmm. then you have foreign bodies put in it that second one was actually quite a breeze i mean it was not that painful and um i have to say i was happy i was really happy because i felt like i got rid of these 
malfunctioning ones. And I felt like I still had some form to me because mm-hmm. they were smaller. I think the first ones must have been around 400 cc's and these ones were 300. Mm-hmm. And my skin adapted beautifully to it. Mm. And I was happy. I really was. I, and that these was were the more pliable outcome. ones. Yeah, yeah, they obviously improved them to, for that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so. But did he also take the capsule out? At that time, or did he understand? I didn't even all ask that? about that. Oh, because I wasn't. I had no idea that that was a thing. I, I guess I assumed it would come out. Right. Um, I only know that yes, the attempt to take the capsule out took place of the original ones, mm-hmm. the nineteen ninety ones. Yeah. Because I read my post-op report in the last year. I've okay. read that. Mm-hmm. It talked about the removal of the implants in the capsule, mm-hmm. but not as one. Okay, so I don't know the whole procedure, but basically they cut you back open and they go for the implant first. And so they cut through the capsule. Correct. Right, to get to the implant. Yeah. And then they take out what they can of the capsule. Okay. That's what the um, post-op report showed. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Not the fact for how they're doing things today or to do it properly, but... That's from what it showed on on that post-op report. Yes, the capsule was taken out as well on both of them. Mm -hmm. And the left one had been ruptured. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Probably back then when he sat on top of you. Yes. When he pushed you down. Yes. Right, okay. Right. And again, I was told that these were good for life. Hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what the first doctor told me. I mean, this, this conversation was very specific in my mind because the first doctor said these are for life. And... In 07, this doctor said they're for life. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's what the first doctor told me. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm not going to jump on your chest and try to push it down. Unless they break down for some reason, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you get hit by a car, that's, that, you know, you're in a car accident or something. You bet. There could be things like that. Yep. But I'm telling Seed you. Seat belt and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the impact through you a windshield bet. or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or rolling a car. But those words were spoken. These are for life. Mm. And that was in 07. Mm. And that was prior to the new regulations around these. They do not last for life. Mm -hmm. Depends on how long your life is, I suppose, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So that's that, that I felt, you know, there was a good outcome and I was solid with it. I have to say that there was still an existing unsettling conflict with my soul, Mm. even though aesthetically, I was pleased, yeah. but there was an internal conflict that I had already become pretty good at shoving down, hmm. discounting. Hmm. You know, I had to because mm-hmm. I was going to live with it. So yeah. I had to talk, you know, you can talk yourself into a lot of things. Anyway, I buried it and I buried it deep, that internal conflict. Um, and I'd said to myself, I really don't have any problems with these, like the first ones, yeah. and except... Even with the first ones, it was just, it was a bit hard and it was misshaped, but I really didn't have the problems that I'd been reading about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went on. I I did some really good, you know, these little thoughts that were going through my head. I, I pretty well programmed it to be mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't for a few, a few more years that I became much more educated about some of the impacts. Yeah. Of these, and it was really when I got into the nutritional end of things of mm-hmm. my profession. Yeah. Because I, I really found out a lot about <clears throat> nutritional deficiencies 
and toxic overload. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And once I got into that, I really thought I felt pretty good before. But when I was able to actually feed my body something that it could absorb and mm -hmm. utilize mm -hmm. and then get rid of what bogged me down, I was feeling amazing. Yeah. So I was really getting into the knowledge around toxicity. Mm -hmm. And that's what really started making me seek out more information without even knowing I was, if I could. If yeah. You know, because more, more of it was around how tainted our food sources can be, sure. you know, and yeah. these environmental toxicities and things like that. I, I really wasn't going to my own self because I'd already convinced myself yeah. I was safe. Right? It's more than just saying we've got to be organic. Yes. It's, there's a lot more going oh, on in food absolutely. Mm -hmm, that we keep an eye on. Uh -huh. Right. So anyway, that was back in 2010 that I really started getting into the understanding of that and, and implementing a detoxing lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I have implemented that since 2010 and i really believe that it probably saved my life wow from as you will soon understand what yeah. ended yeah. up happening but my second kind of aha moment was in 2015 i was in saint george utah and i was literally giving a lecture on nutritional deficiency and yeah, yeah, toxic yeah. all right toxic load and i was in this environment with a lot of women and it turned out that later on in that day, I ended up in a conversation with about six women, and they were talking about the breast implants. Really? And one of them was even talking about one of her friends who finally got hers out, is how she put it, and she just doesn't have any of these issues anymore. And I, I'm like, what are you guys talking what about? What issues? Yeah. What are you guys talking about? Tell me more. Yeah. And, and of the six, seven, myself included, we all had implants. Oh, and all about same age or diff age difference? Definitely varying. Um, okay. Anywhere from 40 to 60 years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they were telling about some of their issues and, and definitely about the ones that were having problems and correlating it to the implants. Well, it was a few years later that the gal who was putting on this whole event ended up getting breast cancer. Hmm. And she was one of the seven? She was. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. she was actually the host of the whole thing. Yeah, that's what you said, but I didn't right. know she was also part of that conversation. Yes, okay. yes. and uh, not only did the implants go, but every every ounce of her breast tissue went as mm -hmm. well. But mm -hmm. um, And mm -hmm. she had really she had really a tough go of it. And I just, I just want to point out that that wasn't one of my issues as far as um, I didn't, I'd never had breast cancer. Um, they actually did a pathology when they took mine out, and everything yeah. came back fine. Wonderful. There was no cancer Wonderful. cells, yes. Did the lady survive? She did. Good. She's still having a tough go of it, though. Okay. Yeah. But I remember at the time when we were having that conversation, I was remembering, I was just thinking to myself, gosh, I'm so fortunate. I've not had any of these issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was a few years later that I was doctoring with one of our local naturopaths, Dr. Paloma. Yeah, de Fluentes. De Fluentes, yes. Mm -hmm. I went to her because I'd had all these weird allergies come about, and I also had an irregular heart rate. Hmm. And that I've known that for over the years, and I'd had testing done on it, but there was a situation that had happened um, that made me go to her and and really check it out and see what she had to say about it, if she could kind of you know correlate anything and what we could be doing about it. She put me through the whole gamut of tests, especially around the allergy issues. And 
I had a full workup at the hospital done, an EKG, and the whole workup for my heart. And it came back saying, I'm fine. Your body's just developed a secondary ticker hmm. that controls things every now and then. Hmm. And um, so after weeks of working with uh, Dr. DeFluentis, and I'm sitting on her table, and she's saying, okay, this, this, and this, and this is all good, and everything's coming back great as far as your um, blood numbers, et cetera. And she just was kind of shaking her head. She said, Mary, I have to tell you, I think your issues are all arising from these implants. Huh. Wow. Yeah, the allergies and, wow. and the irregular heart rate. Huh. It was an irregular irregularity, right? I said, I, I don't think so. I know my body really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hubris in that way, right? I know, oh, I know, I know you body. like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't think so. And she said, okay. But I'm telling you, that's, that is what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And she said, would you do me a favor and just check it out? And I said, I will. And she said, just you know, type in breast implant illness and see if it relates to you. Because you do have to have the, you know, you have to have the connection between the mind and your heart to actually yeah. understand it. Yeah. And I did. And I looked at a few stories. And it, was, it wasn't unsimilar to what I had witnessed in St. George when I was there, the stories those women had. Mm. It was not like It wasn't those. unsimilar. Okay. It was pretty much the same. It wasn't unsimilar. Okay, so. It was just different people. Yeah. Same story, different people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, but I, I don't have those. But I did. Mm-hmm. I had all of a sudden these weird allergies, right? Mm. And then, then things actually escalated. But it not fully escalated until after my next mammogram in 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, first, let me back up a little bit. So with uh, Dave Loentis, uh, mm-hmm. that, that series of testing and stuff was done probably around 2017. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in 2020, COVID hits. Oh, yeah, of course. The whole family gets COVID. I forgot. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, like we could. (laughs) (laughs) The whole family got COVID. Oh, boy. And um, Mike, my husband, actually got the COVID pneumonia. Mm. And he was sick. He was really sick. Didn't end up in the hospital. And we were able to treat. This was early on in the COVID experience. We all got better, but... I had ongoing fatigue, he had ongoing fatigue, and he felt like his lungs were damaged. Hmm. And we hadn't had a um, family practitioner for several years because he had retired, and we just were pretty healthy and didn't feel like we needed it. And if we did, we had, we had an accounts at Mayo. Yeah. So we decided, let's do a full workup at Mayo hmm. and see if we can get to the bottom of this lung thing, because he'd had pneumonia in his life about four times. Huh. Anyway, long story short, we did the full workups. They could find nothing wrong with his lungs. They said he was allergic to dry air. Huh. Is it dry in Montana in the winters? A little, just yeah. a bit. It, no, he's yeah. had to say, well, yeah, and I get a wimpy cough every winter when we're there. But we had been wintering south for like oh. the last seven years. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's what they discovered for him. And then since I hadn't had a mammogram in years, they decided to do a mammogram on me. And... It was a brutal one. It was um, pretty mm, rough. I feel like it was ruptured during that mammogram. Wow. Yeah. Were they not respectful of the of the implant, or was this just the way they did it, or this they felt we need to dig deeper? They were aware of the implant. 
Um, you know, I'm there's no fault here on this one because like before, I had gone to the specialty that worked with implants. You would do a mammogram because that's what they did. They did mammograms on implanted patients, okay. right? Mm-hmm. This wasn't specialized towards implanted patients, mm-hmm. but, you know, they know to push the implant back and to squeeze, and it may have been a new tech, whatever. But And I have to point out, there was also, I'd also started to feel the ridge of that implant prior to that mammogram. Mm. Because when they said, well, now we should do a mammogram on you. When was your last one? And I'm like, oh, it's been a while. And I suppose we should because I'm feeling like the ridge on this implant. So maybe we should look at that. Mm-hmm. So I agreed to it. I went into it. But um, it was it was rough and there was a lot of um, pressure. And I felt a little pop. Nothing like the one where the doctor got <laughs> on top of my chest, right? But from that point on, I had pain hmm. in that breast. Hmm. And it wasn't constant, and it wasn't debilitating, but it was sporadic, sharp pains. Yeah. I could almost cast that one and bury that one too, but it was, you know, it was pretty much all the time. It hmm. would happen at least daily. Hmm. So they recommended, after the mammogram and everything, they said, you know, it seems to, the implant seems to be faulty. You should go back to your surgeon. And I did. Okay. I don't know that when we spoke before that I told you about this, but no. I went back to my surgeon Billings. in Billings mm-hmm. and I said, this is what I'm feeling that feels faulty. I can feel the ridge. And he took a look, checked him out and said, yeah, it's deteriorating. It's, it's met its, its life. It's time to switch him out. And I said... Again? So 13 years later. Well, I mean, still, you say 10 years. Right. So you were... But in 07, it was, these are good for life. You bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. why I was like, what? Yeah. And and I probably even had got the news, you know, there was new FDA requirements uh, that were implemented in 2019 where uh, plastic surgeons have their clients, um, their patients sign off on the risk involved with implants. And they're actually written, and you do need to sign off on them now, as of 2019. Mm-hmm. And they actually come now with a black box warning. And that's been a part of this movement of the breast implant illness um, group. group. Yeah. yeah, organization, actually, whatever. But long and short of it, he was suggesting that I have them replaced. And he thought that replacement was the way to go. You're still too young to fit, not have a chest. But that is up to you. So that that dialogue changed a little mm-hmm. bit. That's going to be up to mm-hmm. you. And I'm retiring in the next couple months, and we couldn't get you in anyway before oh. I retire. But I have a great replacement. I've been grooming him now for the last couple of years, and he'd be he could do a great job for you. Uh. And I just I just stood back and just went, no, I have to work with this a little bit more. I just was like, no, I'm not going to do replacement, even though I know that one's faulty. So I did. I just left there going, whatever. And the symptoms started getting worse. The shortness of breath. Okay. I had what felt like I was choking, really? feeling a lot. Wow. It's really interesting. I, w- I went back. I'm only six weeks out of surgery. Yeah, today. Exactly. As you today. and I are talking. As yes. we're talking, I'm six weeks out of explant surgery. And I went to yoga last night for the first time. In so more than six weeks. It would have been a month prior to that. And um, I could not believe how I could breathe. Wow. I mean, I could all of a sudden take deep breaths again. Some of these, I, I do Bikram, so the 26-2 oh. 
series. And I'm telling you, some of these, I am just going to be so freed up. (laughs) I I couldn't believe how I could get in different positions because I could not only breathe in the position, but I could move into it without the obstacles of these implants. Mm -hmm. Um, And the freedom I felt, the freedom through my neck, my arms. Mm. And even though... You know, the shoulders are still very much impacted from the surgery. Sure. I, the freedom. Oh, my gosh. So I, I just want to point that out there. But um, okay. anyway, so, that, so that's the, a big symptom for you. It is. Yeah, the breathing. Because I'm active and I need to breathe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I mean, we need oxygen to our brain. And, you know, when the brain fog is there, are you thinking it's because you're not getting oxygen to the brain? What mm-hmm. is it, you know? But that was another one of the symptoms is mm-hmm. brain fog. I didn't have the skin rashes. Tinnitus started happening and ringing that happened, in the ears and that happened yeah um from COVID on and it got worse after the mammogram um that is one of the traumas or symptoms that people refer to as well I'm hoping that'll go away it hasn't gone away yet but the breathing certainly has increased um my ability to breathe anyway um finding out some of these things so and as far as the heart the extra heartbeat all that is resolved that that's not there anymore not either. necessarily okay. no i haven't had that checked okay i've never felt it to begin with to tell you the truth Jacobus. Okay. it's not something that stops me in my tracks mm. sometimes i can feel it when it happens and it doesn't happen all the time it's an irregularity mm-hmm. right i mean there have been times when i've been at rest and i could feel a racing i could feel it racing it's never bothered me it's never made me out of breath or anything so yeah, yeah. So let's let's fast forward to this last November. Um, there was a lot of traumas. I mean, there was a lot of trauma through COVID, right? And there was um, ongoing fatigue after that as well. And then we had some other life traumas, like losing homes in hurricanes and some big family issues and deaths and all these things. And it was a pretty low time. And it was, I just needed to get really in touch with my spirit. And I and I did. I started doing, you know, trying to do some real more meditation and, and breathing, even mm. though the breathing wasn't that easy. But I went to a kinesiologist here yeah. in town, Janine Moonen. Yeah. Are you familiar with Janine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As she was going through really, you know, opening up the meridians of my body, she was saying things and taking notes and, you know, yeah, three, she does. three pages she of notes. It yeah. was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And so the, some of the things she said, I obviously didn't catch because you're almost in a meditative state. True. Some it's, people fall asleep oh, in the I, process. I snored, woke myself <laughs> up. Yes. It was really a, a wonderful experience. Yeah, she's very unique. She is. And when I got home, I read through the notes. And one of the things on the notes was mold in the breast. Isn't that interesting? So yeah. there was something that caused her to say that or feel that or whatever, and uh, with the muscle testing that she's doing the whole time, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that that sparked another plug. And then I, um, I was tagged a post that a, f- uh, a business friend of mine had mm-hmm. made about an explant. And then I stumbled on another post. And this is all within like a four-day period of time. Yeah, isn't that something? I was, timing asking, works. Mm-hmm. I was asking for the answers, mm-hmm. and they were being thrown at me right and left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you, you, um, were, you opened yourself up right, for the answers. Right, as opposed to burying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I saw this one gal's uh, post that I'm not even friends with. 
and it just shocked me that she put this out there, her survival rate after explant and how she was doing, and so much better. She now knows that she will live, because she was basically on her deathbed. Wow. Yeah, I mean, some of these stories I hear. I know. Unbelievable. I know. Yeah. I know, and you know what? I was probably working with people, because I worked with a lot of fibromyalgia patients. Yeah. And they were, became my clients, his mm. personal training. Mm-hmm. And there, uh, probably half of them had implants. And I didn't make the correlation. And there is a correlation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creating, yeah. I'm trying to create yeah. awareness here because it could have been a total correlation. But anyway, so this one gal, I reached out to her and I went public too. Right on her page in the comments, I said, I don't believe in coincidences. I came across this post and I am so happy for you. But would you be willing to have a conversation? Mm. <laughs> and we did. And she directed me. She lived to... in town. Or she was. Nope. Uh, she lived somewhere else. Uh, I don't even know where she lived, to tell you the truth. I think she's in San Diego. Okay. But when I first knew of her, she was on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. But I think they now live in San Diego. Long wow. story short, she's like, absolutely, let's talk. And, and she guided me. And she guided me. To, there's several um, Facebook and Instagram groups called um, Breast Plant Illness. Yeah. Breast Implant Illness. Dot com. Yeah. Breast Implant. I. Breast Implant Illness. Yeah. And she also directed me to healing breast implants. Mm-hmm. And that that is very comprehensive. Mm. That site, that's the one I showed you that's got, I mean, it's got a link to everything and the whole movement that's been going on since these thousands and thousands of women have come forth with these issues. Incredible website, healingbreastimplantillness.com. That's what it is. Right. Healingbreastimplantillness.com. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It just uncovered so many things for me. And it was like, this is me. Mm. I've got to get these out. And that's when I went public. I went on social media as well. Uh, well, it wasn't, not until I got my appointment. But I couldn't stand it any longer because had I not come across Eden's post, this is mm-hmm. my friend, mm-hmm. um, now friend, <laughs> yeah. um, I wouldn't have gotten any further in my journey. And so I, I went public about three days before going into surgery and just said, this has to happen. I can't wait any longer. Yes, I'm asking for prayer, but I also just kind of want to create some awareness out there. I'll keep you posted. I cannot tell you how many people are looking for answers. And the outreach was overwhelming from people saying, you have to tell me more. You have to tell me more. And where are you getting this information? Because I need it. That led to the surgery. And it's what you'll find out. Okay, getting into this a little bit deeper is that they have to be taken out properly. Correct. Right, because the capsule that's made around the implant, the body makes around the implant when they're first put in, is made from the environment that it is created, right? So you get a scar on your arm. Sure. um, Because there's blood flow and there's oxygen, it will make a scar. And in that area where they make the socket... And um, they move the skin and they tear the tissue, et cetera, or cut it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Th- that's the materials that the capsule is made from. Anything in that raw, moist environment, right. It's become so, raw. Yeah, so it's So the capsule also has some silicone in it mm-hmm. because it's made from the object itself that it's trying to protect the body Good from. Good point. 
So in order to properly explant, it needs to be done with something called an end block. Mm -hmm. And an end block is taking the capsule, the entire capsule out as one, Mm -hmm. and then searching the area for any misguided silicone (laughs) that could be in the area Mm because it's very identifiable, apparently. And then once it's out of the body, then they cut the capsule open. And most women have their implants in their hands and they're showing these. And I'll I'll show you some of these sites where it just looks like those implants that came off the shelf before they went in your body. That's a lot of them, but a lot of them don't look like that. A lot of them can be ruptured and still be intact. But they'll have this filmy, uh, filmy, film lining all around the outside of it. It's tacky. And there'll be a laceration within them. Um, Some of them are no longer intact at all. They'll they'll cut open the capsule and it's just fluids. But I would say the majority from what I've seen, and this is just what I've seen. I don't have statistics on it. Sure. I, I have to believe that this may have to do with the duration a person's had them, or the lifestyle they live. But the majority of them come out whole, mm-hmm. from what I've seen, until I saw mine. Yeah, yours didn't yeah. look that way. No, they did yeah. not look that way. <laughs> so, uh, but sort of there's, there's the implant comes out. Let's say everything is perfect. Mm-hmm. The implant comes out. The implant, because of the environment it has been in, many times it has a little slimy cover over mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that slimy cover is the capsule. And then the capsule needs to come out. So kind of, you talked earlier about a socket that they have to create. The socket is what they're making Correct. In, and yeah. so the capsule builds inside the socket. Correct. So when you, when you take it out, you have to go and clean off between the wall of the socket and the actual capsule that has formed over time. All that has to come out. So all you have left is the good old socket, so to say. Exactly. And Yeah, okay. Exactly. And if it's an inframammary incision, you have to reattach the pec. Right. Which 90% of implants are done inframammary under the breast. Under the breast so that you right. can get under the, under the muscle. Right. So that it pushes the muscle out and you don't see, let's the say. The ridge if, of the implant. The ridge of the implant. Se, yeah. Right. Hmm. Okay, because especially with lean women, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of breast tissue between the implant Correct. and the, the skin. And the muscle. And mm-hmm. the skin. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the recommendations, um, especially through uh, the Healing Breast Implant Illness site and um, these other Facebook and Instagram sites, had a list of surgeons I want to say real quick, you mentioned uh, it has to be taken out and block. And block. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, and so uh, one of the doctors, I'll, I'll play a clip. It is really uh, from the French, on, uh, so E-N, mm-hmm. that is like on. Okay. And then a dash and then B-L-O-C, Correct. on block. A block is obviously the whole thing. So the whole thing is supposed to come out on block means right. we're taking everything out. Exactly. The capsule and everything, and that's what it right. meant. Right. Mm-hmm. And really important to note about that, with the replacement in 07, more than likely it was not an M block, N block, okay? Uh, okay. Because that's not how plastic surgeons, you know, put, you know, yeah, they, you have they, to they be probably a took the capsule out, 
But this procedure is very delicate. Yeah, because that's obvious. Because you have to, like you said, you have to cut away, shave away, mm-hmm. if you will, from, let's say, the ribs, the muscle, because a lot of this tissue can grow into it, um, which ended up being the case for me. I had, not only was it attached to my ribs, but it was attached to my muscle. And I'll get into that in a second, but I really want to point out that how great of resources the breast implant illness mm-hmm. site is. Um, it just, it covers everything. It even has a list of surgeons that have been approved by oh. this organization. Mm. And there's about 12 of them. And they're not all in the United States. And no, there certainly isn't one in Montana. Should be. Now, and that's, that's the ones you want that do the end block yeah. and reattach the pec, right? That list has grown from what the list available in the site is. It's grown because I've talked to people since that have found surgeons that are doing this and doing it properly, et cetera. But I stuck with the list because I knew that they were approved and there was a lot of people that were talking about these people, right? Mm -hmm. And I literally had two different appointments set up. I had one with a doctor in California and one with a doctor in Costa Rica. And... Uh, another person that I was acquaintance with, I'd seen a post that she had done about this doctor in Costa Rica, and sure enough, he was on the list. And, and so I, I got a, with both of those two doctors, I had done video interviews, yeah. you know, talked about the whole thing and mm. what it would be. And I, I, was, I was leaning towards, I really wanted to go with the one in Costa Rica, but I didn't want to be recovering in Costa Rica. In a mm. foreign country, you know? You know, and so especially you kind of think about what if something goes wrong? Okay. You need to be close to your family, you know? Mm-hmm. But the one I really wanted to get into was in Cleveland just because of the holistic approach that she took with the nutrition and the exercise and everything was a part mm. of that explant. Interesting. You know? And it was about a week before we were leaving for a vacation. Well, she was not the Cleveland Clinic. She was no, a private doctor. No, it's her own clinic. Office. Right. And it was about a week before we were going to go on a vacation, two-week vacation to Costa Rica. And I had already set up the two other appointments, mm-hmm. which were going to be in two months from then. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, I'm just going to try her clinic one more time, see if I can get through. And I mean, I was leaving a message every other day for about two weeks, and okay. I never got a call back. Huh? And I filled out all the forms on, on the internet, you know, mm-hmm. for the clinic. I filled out those forms, and I never got a response. And I put in a call, and I got the CEO of the company. Uh, he answered the phone, answering the phone for this clinic. Yeah, <laughs> I thought, yeah, this yeah. is odd. Yeah. But so what? What for was it about hour, that clinic? What was it about the Cleveland? That was the one? holistic one. Oh, and I'd also known um, my first contact, the gal who guided yeah. me to all these sources. Eden. Mm-hmm. She had gone there. And had a very great experience. And she said, yeah, she's one of the best. But I'm telling you, I've talked to other women. There's a lot of good ones out there. So she didn't right. say that's where you have to go. Mm-hmm. But, and she said, and drop my name because maybe you'll get in faster because it's really hard to get in. I mean, oh. the demand right now wow. is really high. So I got the C- CEO on mm-hmm. the phone. And an hour conversation later, I mean, just the nicest man. And he saw I was from Montana and wanted to talk. And yeah. <laughs> And couldn't say enough great things about it. And I explained my situation. And when he had, when he heard 33 years with these implants, he said, um, you have to understand, 
we can't get back to everybody that calls. We get, you know, 12 new inquiries a day, and we just can't get to them all. And he said, you'll get a call in the next couple of days. And the very next day, I got a call from the scheduler and had to do a full health history first. So it was several hours of doing that. But they had had a cancellation hmm. one month away. It was like, oh, my God, this is supposed to happen then, right? Yeah. This is... And I was supposed to happen this way because I yeah. wasn't getting in before and it was about the cancellation. Mm. Yeah. So I don't believe in coincidences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, that's how that all went down. But um, I'm telling you, it, it takes a while to get into any mm. of them. It mm. really does. And the price is you can expect at least twice as much of an explant compared to an implant. It, it's, a, it's a bigger deal. <laughs> you got to cut very You really delicately. have to know that that's what you want. All right. Yeah. So do you want to know the other part of it when I actually ended up there and yeah, yeah, really yeah. what the situation sure. was that was going on that I was not aware of? So they had me do, because I suspected a rupture from the mammogram or prior to it. Yeah. I suspected a rupture right. because of the pain. So they had me do an ultrasound the day before surgery. Mm-hmm. And I also had my three-hour consultation with the doctor prior to the The surgery. actual doctor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For three hours. I mean, that's how much care I believe that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to go to the clinic. But long story short, I went in for the ultrasound, and that actually was done at the Cleveland Clinic by a surgeon that um, he specialized in ultrasounds and particularly worked close with my surgeon who specialized in mm-hmm. explants. And um, so he had seen it all for 30 years. For yeah. 30 years, wow. right? And uh, so we start with the ultrasound, and he starts on my right side, and he said, I thought you told me these were under the muscle. And I said, they are. And he said, well, not this one. This one's over the muscle. Really? Uh-huh. Huh. And I said, it, it totally confused me. I had no idea what he was referring to, and I thought, well, I guess he might not be as good as they're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> but he had the equipment. He knew what he was seeing. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and... So then he went to the left one, and he said, well, isn't this interesting? This one's under the muscle. And then he went to the outside of the left one and drew a box with a marker on my skin. Yeah. And then he went back to the right one and started going into, like, the armpit area and that. And he said, oh, my God. And he turned the screen around. He said, look at this. Your implant is not only on top of the muscle on this right side, but underneath. And then he drew two more boxes on my skin, one Mm. high clavicle area and then one in the armpit area. Mm. And what he was identifying for the surgeon was where the leaked silicone was. So did you notice uh, um, hardness or swelling or thickness on the right side yourself? Nope. Nope. If he could find it, then you would expect that I would feel they it. They would feel it or notice it or mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. No, hmm. no, and it's not like I have a lot of fat there. Yeah, no, you, you don't. know, but the mm-hmm. implant was had navigated. Let's, for lack of a better word, so basically ruptured, navigated under the armpit and then over the muscle, mm-hmm. and wherever that silicone is going, right? Yeah, the body makes a capsule over it, so it had its own capsule too. So when now you had mentioned before that 
when there is already a channel made, because when you did your original implant, right. they would come into the armpit. Right. Uh, you said once they make that channel to put the breast implant in mm -hmm. the original way, mm -hmm. you are creating a pathway. Is it possible that this was looking for that pathway? Has found that pathway and filled yeah. it in. Yeah. You know, that never dawned on me till this moment. Mm. That's a possibility. Mm. But it didn't follow through with that pathway, I'll tell you that. Oh. Because it went up and over the muscle. Oh, it did. Yeah. But right. Also in your in your clavicle, you said. Yep, up here. Yeah. Clavicle okay. up here. Mm. And there was another piece over there. In the they, in the yeah. in the armpit. In the armpit, mm -hmm. not in the lip nodes. Yeah. So when they did the unblock, they took it out. So this was supposed to be a, a three hour procedure. Mm. Is what they tell you you can expect. Um, it was six hours. Wow. It didn't start till mid-afternoon on a Friday. And it was it was 7.30, I think, when I came out of surgery. And it was about 10 o'clock before I left the clinic. Wow. But it was long and, I'm sure, tedious. Huh. She didn't use that word, but it was tedious. She said, this is one of the worst I've ever seen. Wow. In her 30 years of doing explants. She said, if you can imagine, have you ever taken wallpaper off? A wall? Yeah. Have you ever scraped it off? Yeah. She said it was like that. She said, and literally like concrete. So scraping that, those new capsules that mm. had formed over the silicone, and it, that's how it had hardened. Yeah. And it had damaged my muscle, my pec, on my right side. And so the reattachment of the pec on the left went beautifully, but they could not get the elasticity, so they couldn't get the muscle to pull down and be reattached. So wow. it was a partial reattachment because it was so damaged. The huh. pec was so damaged. What does that mean going forward as far as the pec muscle is concerned? It's not completely reattached. So you cannot do a push-up or stuff like that? I can, but it's going to impact my shoulders a lot more, and it does. Huh. Okay. <laughs> And I'm not so sure that it won't have full function. It seems to be relaxing. Yeah, I'm massaging quite a bit, right? Mm. Um, more than anything, you know, you want that pec in its original pla placement, so the uh, anatomy to be where it was, mm -hmm. pretty much so that the breast can look like a normal breast. Yeah. Um, so because it's not attached all the way down, there's a big fold. So, mm. it, you know, mm. it looks like an indentation, which I don't care. Well, care. that's what you had in 1990. <laughs> that's when you said... <laughs> I didn't I'm... have a fold, yes, but yes. <laughs> um, and a lot of women do, they'll do an enhancement. They'll have a lift at the same time because they've stretched the skin, right? Okay. And so a lot of them choose to do that prior. And I had not made up my mind about any of that before I got there. And the more I talked with her, I said, I just need them out. I don't care. I don't want to lift. I don't. I don't want a fat transfer. I don't want anything. I just want them out. And the more we talked, and because of my lifestyle. What and do you mean with the lift? I thought you said you already had them taken out by her, and then you saw. Before, then you were talking the, about the lift? In the consultation the okay. day before surgery, we were going to discuss, do I want to have a lift along with the explant? Okay. Because that's when they do it, because so they've the already got. What does it really mean? So basically, mean? they have to cut along on, that, on the, the bottom on the of line the again, yes. yes. And then what they do is they kind of make a, like a little triangle okay. and they remove skin. And in some cases, depending upon the woman and, and the elasticity of the skin and 
just their overall appearance they're trying to achieve. They'll mm. have to move the um, the nipple oh. as well. Okay. Some is just, you know, the cut and seal. But I had no interest. I just had no interest in that. And fortunately, because it was already six hours worth of major scraping and, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. But that is something that is optioned with these, the explant surgeons that do it right because, yeah. you know, they want to leave them un, just unscarred too much. You Eventually, know what I mean? that yeah. when you were to show yourself on public, right. that you feel everything is even and thing is fine. Yeah. Thing is fine. That's what they want to do. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. You know, because they didn't the skin get has for, been stretched. Right. And they didn't the get them to look disformed mm-hmm. you know what i mean so they're trying to bring him back to his natural mm-hmm. positioning as possible hmm. this specific surgeon wouldn't do a transfer for a year she needs the body to totally heal settle yeah. down and because a lot one of the symptoms for women is inability to lose weight and it has everything to do with the silicone the implants affecting Help me with the terminology here, the endocrine system, whatever. Endocrine. Endocrine, endocrine system. system. Thank mm-hmm. you. And the endocrine system. But that's one of the major symptoms is mm. weight gain without the ability to get rid of it, so without it changing your anything hormones. else. It affects uh, Obviously, right? Hormones, thyroid. And so I think one of the reasons she also waits for a year after explant is to see what happens with the body and fat displacement or... I think it's super smart. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you, and then you can decide, and then um, it will probably be not an emotional decision anymore. It will be a decision based on these are the facts a year later, and Mm -hmm. I want to do something about this, and it's doable. Absolutely. You know, Mary, I hear the story and I listened to other stories. It's really interesting. What, what, what catches me is that you've had them for 33 years. Yes. And there are a lot of women, four months, six months, a few years, who haven't removed because they are becoming aware of what could be possible symptoms or they're already suffering from symptoms. It can happen immediately. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Overnight. Next right. day. Right. And you have never really had those experiences until... Recent, more recently, exactly. and even then, when you listen to the stories, you may say, "Wow, I I didn't really have it that bad." Now, part of it is your who you are; it's it's genetically how you put together, and interest-wise, you have just been into health for the last thirty years. So, not worrying about breast implants, you have done anything else as far as diet and lifestyle and attitude is concerned. That is based on how can I myself be healthier and how can I make the people around me healthier who ask me, right? Because you were like a professional. You are a professional. And so maybe that has been that combination has been your blessing to not have these severe symptoms like some people had because Mm -hmm. the list of symptoms is page and a half, two pages long. It's unbelievable. There is definitely some overlap with low thyroid and and possible PMS-related issues as far as hormone imbalance is concerned, besides looking at what the toxicity is, the, the toxins in this product, which, of course, based on the individual, can affect different parts of the endocrine system. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it is amazing that your story, you've had your doubts, 
your doubts would come and go, mm-hmm. and then you take action, and you, you, you had them removed and replaced, and then you go on, and then this naturopathic physician says, hmm, I, five years ago, I think these are whatever you're talking about could be related. And then you say, yeah, well, I know my body best, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what you've been doing. Exactly. You know, it's totally understandable. Yeah. And then eventually you realize that there is a link. And uh, so I, it, it's, it's powerful. You know, every story that I have heard now is very powerful because of the, the, the personal experience and the depth and the emotions that go with this decision to do something about it, replace it, do more research in it. Luckily, you have not had the bad symptoms that some people have had, but you've had enough symptoms to be motivated to say, I got to take these out. Stop the madness. Yeah, stop the madness. That's right. Well, and, you know, that is so true. And it just having you repeat that in that way makes me think that that's why you know the doctors the plastic surgeons through at least my experience they're not to blame because there was no solid concrete evidence to link one symptom that was totally different from another symptom to the implants and categorize them all in oh they're because of the implants right and with each person having their own experience and degree of symptoms and how many of the symptoms and how awful the symptoms were, it would be very difficult to form a case. Mm -hmm. But that's what's been happening Mm -hmm. because it's across the board now that, especially for these women that have the severe ones. Okay, let's talk about Lyme's disease, um, Mm -hmm. fibromyalgia. They've been diagnosed with these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They get them out and the symptoms go away, right? Mm -hmm. Now that... That's a pretty large indicator. Well, those are also <laughs> autoimmune diseases, right? Yes. Well, so they're when all, you talked yeah. earlier about autoimmunity, mm-hmm. the symptoms of autoimmunity are many. And I have to say that since I've connected with you again and since I've been reading, reading this, uh, I talk to quite a few people too. And I start realizing now, especially with women, certain symptoms I need to ask them if they happen to have breast implants. Right. And that I can show them the list of potential symptoms. I don't know if we have them handy over here, but uh, the list is is incredible. If I can just, here it is. Here are some breast implant illness symptoms. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but fatigue, brain fog, memory loss, cognition problems, muscle pain and weakness, joint pain, hair loss, premature aging of skin, skin itching, weight problems, inflammation, insomnia and poor sleep, dry eyes, hypothyroid, adrenal fatigue, parathyroid, early menopause, hysterectomy, low libido, slow healing of wounds, which just could also be related to thyroid, slow, slow recovery, vertigo, headaches, ocular migraines, throat clearing, reflux, indigestive problems, night sweats, UTIs, yeast infections, ear ringing, well, you had that, metallic taste, heart palpitations, you had some of that, Mm -hmm. blood pressure problems, swollen and tender lymph nodes, frequent urination, numbness in the limbs. I had that too. 
You had that too? Yep, and that's basically gone. Yeah. Gone. I thought Already. it was rhinoids. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, that's another yeah. quinn. Symptoms, feelings like you're dying. Mm-hmm. Some people have that. Feelings like you're dying. I, I heard some people talk about that. Definitely. Yeah. Symptoms or diagnosis of fibromyalgia or Epstein-Barr or Lyme disease or Raynaud's, Hashimoto's, Graves, rheumatoid arthritis. Well, if it is an autoimmune disease, it could be related. And then uh, symptoms of other cancers known by associated breast implants such as melanoma, brain cancer, myeloma. Anyway, it's a list that you can find on this website, healingbreastimplantillness.com. I thought maybe it would be an interesting thing to have this doctor uh, explain, if you don't mind listening to it. A few minutes, his name is uh, Professor Ged, G-E-D, Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. And he is a surgical oncologist and director of Global Engagement at Health Education England. And this is on a podcast called The Heal is Real. And those are two ladies who both had had breast implants done, Abby Eastwood and Debbie Mack. And it, the website The Heal is Real is all focused on sharing stories with women who have had breast implants removed and also with professionals who do the procedures. The Heal is Real is a listening dog media production. You mentioned about OnBlock, and I think it would be really good for our listeners to just actually understand if they are thinking about having an explant because of their symptoms, actually what the process entails and what everything means. Are you all right to explain that to us? Yeah, of course. So, um, so again, I'm going to caveat this by saying, well, no, I'm going to come to the end and say that I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that an OnBlock is the thing that prevents BII. Just let me know, but I'll come back onto that in a minute. So, so uh, on-block explantation uh, arose from the, uh, the south of the United States uh, on a basic scientific principle that if your capsule is causing your, um, uh, your BII, then you need to remove the capsule with the implant and not leave any capsule in. And this is technically, or whilst it's not rocket science, it's very hard. And the reason it's very hard is because the capsule is... So if, if, when you put a Im- breast implant in, you get an immune response. And the body says, I want to get rid of this implant. It's a foreign body. I want to get rid of it. But the surgeon's been very clever, of course, and they put multiple layers of stitches in. You can't get rid of it. So instead, the body surrounds it in some what is effectively waterproof cellophane, okay? Very, very thin uh, tissue, which is impermeable. So it, the nastiness of the implant, if you like, can't get out of the foreign body, can't get out into the person's system. And that is the capsule. Now, the the capsule can change over a period of time. Uh, it can go thicker, it can go thinner, it can become um, a lumpy, it can get calcium in it. There's all sorts of things that can happen to that capsule. But the capsule is part of you. It's not part of the implant. Okay. So as a rule of thumb, removing a foreign body is very, very straightforward. So because the body wants to get rid of it anyway, it's not integrated with the rest of the rest of the body. But if you're trying to remove a bit of the body from the body, it's much harder and so separating the capsule from the rest of you is really tough, okay, because it integrates with the rest of your tissues. Now, if you think about where an implant goes, it either goes uh, on top of the 
pectoral muscle, which actually is a bit of a misnomer because the bottom of the implant still lies on the rib cage, or it can lie entirely on the rib cage with the muscle lying partially over the top. So when the capsule is produced and all this tissue is produced, it infiltrates all of the local area. And therefore, there is um, to, to remove it is technically quite demanding because you're close to a lot of organs that you don't want to damage your ribs, your heart, your lungs, etc. That the the lining from your ribs uh, and the, the 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 fascia from around your muscle and the muscle itself. So it, it's a painstaking procedure to remove the implant and the capsule all in one piece, which is called an on block. And the the, ling the lingo is uh, it's called an end block in the in the literature. That's the Americans for you. It's a French term and it means en bloc, which is uh, altogether effectively. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, so you remove the implant and the capsule all in one piece. So just to give you a, an idea, because we've, we've we've reviewed this retrospectively, so it takes on average about two and a half hours to do an en bloc explantation, and it takes about ten minutes to remove the implants without the capsule. Okay, right, so the difference is quite dramatic. Okay, um, and the way in which you do an on block technically is that you remove the old scar, which is by and large on the inf inframammary crease, and you take the scar out, you identify the capsule, sort of gently remove the capsule from the overlying tissues, then the side, then you lift the implant up. And if it is possible, you then remove the capsule from the rib cage uh, and then move it to one side. And you've seen the pictures on all of the websites of the, you know, the green table and the photographs and a little name by it. That's with that sort of become a, a tradition. So it's a it's a much longer procedure than the simple removal. It causes a localized trauma to your to your rib cage and to the back of your muscle. It's prone to a lot of bleeding and bruising because. Uh, you're effectively leaving raw tissue behind as opposed to removing the implant, implant uh, per se and the recovery time is considerably longer. So the return to work time is normally seven to ten days where with an explant you can go back to work in the afternoon if you want really. It's, it's not, a, not, a, uh, uh, not a big deal. So it's a, a completely different procedure. So the only thing I would say, okay, is that no, in the same way that we haven't proven that BII is a condition. I believe it is for what it's worth, but we haven't proven that. The, the scientific rationale for removing the capsule as well as the implant is quite poor because what we're saying about BII is that it's the capsule responding to the implant that is releasing cytokines or whatever it may well be that is causing the damage to the rest of your body. But when you remove the implant, of course, you've no longer got that stimulus. Um, it is quite likely that when you remove that implant, the inflammation will dampen down by itself anyway. So I, I think there's a second study that needs to be done, which randomizes women between having an on block and having a simple uh, simple implant removal to see whether the recovery is any different in either group. We know that you've been studying this for years now, four to five years that you've been actually studying BII. And what what is your view on what causes it? What what do you think is so, the problem? So in very simple terms, um, uh, I think that uh, the implant itself causes the formation of a capsule. Uh, the capsule itself is, a, is uh, in a chronic inflammatory state. The inflammatory cells in the capsule re release chemicals into the bloodstream and in some women, 
those chemicals cause symptoms. That's fundamentally what I think I think is going on. Uh, because it's difficult to think of any other mechanism, to be brutally honest. There is some very loose evidence to support that. So the first bit of evidence is when you do an on-block explantation and you send the, the capsule off to the pathologist to analyse, almost invariably the report will come back as normal breast capsule signs of chronic inflammation. So you see chronic inflammation in breast capsules routinely, histologically anyway. So we know that that is definitely occurring. We also know that there is a similar mechanism for the way in which obesity damages you. In obesity, what happens is that the fat cells become inflamed in a very similar way and they release cytokines into the bloodstream, which is what causes the damage to your blood vessels and your nerves. So we, there are other conditions which actually respond in, or, or actually um, have the science behind them is similar to the way in which we think BII might work. Again, loads of research required on that, but that's my good feeling as to how this happens. Well, that is quite something. That is Professor Ged Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. And he he talks in this whole procedure about the on-block procedure and his thoughts what causes breast implant illness. You, I saw you nodding your head. You were... Well, especially I mean, with the cytokine storm type of analogy, because that's all I could think of, especially after surgery. I mean, yeah. I was... I was run over by a truck. I mean, there was so much debris that they had to cut out. Her comment to me was, I have gotten everything in my plane. That's why it took so long, the six hours. You know, there was a lot of scraping that had to be done, and there was three different capsules created. Oh, well, actually, total, there was five, okay? Mm -hmm. The two major ones around the implants. Yeah and then three more around debris that had migrated elsewhere in my body. Okay. So up around the clavicle area. Um, behind the left breast, she actually found the old capsule from the 1990 implants. Wow. Well, how he, big was he that? described it. That's because yeah. that's how surgeons would do it, right? Yeah. How yeah, big yeah. was it? An inch? <laughs> Two inches, you know, because... So it's just it a remnant, had, remnant of a capsule. That was the remnant of oh. the capsule. The other ones had, they all had silicone in them. Hmm. And her concern was, she said, you know, I've gotten everything here, but my concern is where else has it gone in your body? So the detoxing is ongoing. So we talked a little bit about the toxins, what it takes to make implants mm -hmm. and this i thought maybe i gave you some notes if you don't mind that uh, was yes that was the the final aha moment when i saw what they were made up of do you want to read what that is yeah, yeah. I, actually i want to say real quick there are two articles uh, on the website healingbreastimplantillness.com about toxicity in the body mm -hmm. that comes with implants the first one is cohesive gel implants are not safer Many women ask us, are there any safe breast implants? The answer is no. There are no safe breast implants. All kinds of breast implants, saline, silicone, and cohesive gel gummy bear, cause symptoms and breast implant illness. Manufacturers and plastic surgeons have a long, erroneous history of insisting each new generation of breast implants are safer than previous generations. In the beginning of breast augmentation history, doctors were injecting silicone 
which caused death to women. Then came the runny silicone breast implants, which leaked, ruptured, and caused broad illness, resulting in lawsuits and the bankruptcy of Dow Chemical, the one who made them. Then, plastic surgeons promoted saline as the new safe breast implant, but now we know saline causes symptoms too and can mold, which is what you had. Since 2005, plastic surgeons have been promoting cohesive gel gummy bear breast implants as the new safe breast implant. However, again, this is not true, and cohesive gel seems to be the most chemically aggressive implants laden with heavy metals which are used to make the silicone cohesive and these aggressive chemicals and heavy metals are causing profound illness much earlier than previous implants. Do you want to read that next part? Silicone. Toxicity and silicone gel bleed. Yeah. They have determined and it's now published that all implants, whether they're silicone or saline filled, as we talked about earlier, they're all in a silicone bag. Correct. Okay. And all implants will either leak. I refer to it as leaching. Mm -hmm. Chemicals leach sure, out. Sure. Or rupture between eight and 10 years. So there will have faultiness to them. Yeah. And you had mentioned what I had. I did not have saline filled. I had silicone filled okay. in both cases. Okay. okay. Um, so instead of being told the lie that silicone is an... <laughs> Excuse me, I'm reading this, but this is what I was told. Also, being told the lie that silicone is an inert and biologically inactive substance, we wish we had been told the truth, which is silicone is made up of approximately 40 toxic chemicals, an array of heavy metals, which will damage your health, and that silicone bleeds through the shell microscopically from early on. The ingredients of silicone were revealed by the Dow Chemical Breast Implant Trial, and although they tried to cover it up after the fact, it has become public knowledge, and both the ingredients of the silicone and the cover-up are described in the book Breast Implants in the DIRT, D-I-R-T, Committee by Gail Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Plastic surgeons don't talk about the ingredients in silicone. And literally, when you look up the ingredients in, in silicone implants, uh, there's three ingredients. They've, they've grouped all of these chemicals into these specific names that sound normal, harmless. Right. Yeah. Um, they're like silica or the, a long word that kind of sounds like silica. Silica. Yeah. Uh -huh. Silicon somehow, right? Silicocytes. Yeah. <laughs> and plastic surgeons don't talk about the ingredients in silicone because nobody would buy the implants if they knew the toxic load, the toxic chemicals and the heavy metals in them. If you research each of the chemicals of silicone online, you will read that they are defined as cytotoxic neurotoxins, endocrine disruptors, carcinogenic, and harsh irritants to live to live tissue, causing inflammation and damaging organs and glands. Wow. Yeah, I know that my lungs were definitely damaged. And and that is very well possible for some of this. If you, you look at some of this, the methyl ethyl ketone, which is a neurotoxin, cyclohexanone neurotoxin, isopropyl alcohol. Mm -hmm. I use that to clean the windows. Mm -hmm. Denatured alcohol. Acetone, which is also and nail polish. Denatured alcohol is an alcohol taken out of nature. 
Yes. So it's <laughs> That's good chemical. Point, yeah. Chemically made, yes. Acetone, which is used in nail polish remover and is a neurotoxin. Urethane. I'll take some other ones. Ethyl acetate, which is a neurotoxin. Silicone, here is one of them. Sodium fluoride. Lead-based solder. Formaldehyde. Talcum powder, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, phenol benzene, which is a carcinogen and a neurotoxin. Ethylene oxide, which is a carcinogen. Lacquer thinner. Lacquer mm. thinner. Lacquer thinner. Why mm-hmm. do you need lacquer thinner in your breast? Mm-hmm. What's that to thin? Well, because I think we're lacquer thinner deficient. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a good one. Epoxy resin. Printing ink. Printing ink. Metal cleaning acid. Color pigments as a release agents. Heavy metals such as aluminum, which is a neurotoxin linked to Alzheimer's and autoimmune disorders, platinum, and silica. The only valuable one in there is platinum. <laughs> but anyway, so this is a lot of chemicals that, as you say, everybody will react different to it. Mm-hmm. But definitely, these will also become hormone disruptors. And so when they talk about the endocrine system, which is anything dealing with pituitary, hypothalamus in the brain, and then the thyroid in the throat and the adrenals on top of your kidneys, these produce very, very important hormones for us. And uh, that could very well be disrupted. And for some people, it goes very quick. They notice it immediately within hours Mm -hmm. or in a day. And other people, it it may come very subtle slow, don't even know it, but you, you see him 10 years later and you say, have you noticed this? And he said, no, I don't notice it. Mm-hmm. Well, I see you now and I see you think about you 10 years ago. This is what has changed. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, people freak out mm-hmm. when they notice the difference. Yes, and I've, I've actually seen some good friends of mine mm-hmm. in this community that have gotten them and everything about their health changes. The circles under their eyes, um, weight gain that would normally be just associated with maybe menopausal symptoms, Mm -hmm. but never able to get rid of it. And nothing else changed, not their workout routine, not their, you know, their uh, vitamins, their nutrients, et cetera. And Yeah. yeah, I just, you know, for me to be detoxing for the last 13 years, I have to stress that because I think it kept these symptoms at bay. At bay. But think of the taxing that was happening with the liver because you're trying to detox this stuff all the time, right? And you brought light to, I mentioned formaldehyde when we first talked. Mm -hmm. And all I knew of formaldehyde is that, you know, that's what they use when they embalm people. Can that be a good live thing to have in your body? And what you had made some comments about really what formaldehyde does in the body. Well, formaldehyde is very hard on lungs. You talk about lung Mm -hmm. tissue. But it's not just the formaldehyde that is in the breast implants. When you look at artificial sweeteners, such as aspartame mm-hmm. and Equal, they're kind of the same. When they get in the body, mm-hmm. introduced the into bo- the body. Introduced yeah. to the body through drink, soda, soft drink. Usually the diet gum. sodas have that. Yeah. And gum, mm-hmm. so, you know, Wrigley's gum has mm-hmm. aspartame in it. Mm-hmm. At 89 degrees... And our body is 98 degrees. At 89 degrees, aspartame turns into formaldehyde. So brain function, formaldehyde, what it does to the brain, it can cause horrible headaches. I I remember my daughter said um, years ago, I mean, we're talking 15, 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. and she said, oh, Dad, when you go to Costco, can you get me some 
I don't even know what the name of the, the gum was, some kind of a gum. Mm-hmm. And so I bought it and I thought, oh, let me just try the gum. And I never have headaches, mm-hmm. never. Mm-hmm. And I started having a headache within a half hour chewing this gum. Mm-hmm. And and she was chewing and I said, you don't have any headaches from this? And she says, no. But I know it does have an effect. Be- and then I looked at the ingredients. Aspartame. Aspartame. Uh-huh. Very dangerous. Mm. Long time ago, I did a radio show with a lady by the name of Betty Martini. I don't know if she's still alive. Betty Martini made the comment that during the first Gulf War, because my I started my radio show in 2000, and so we're talking about the first Gulf War, which was 90s, early 90s. And she said she had known about FDA regulation that aspartame was officially approved in 1976, I think. Okay. And it had been fought by lobbyists that it was dangerous, dangerous. But one of the the guys who was, I forgot right now what his position was, but it ended up being Donald Rumsfeld, who was then, before he was Secretary of Defense, he was then a lobbyist, I think, for Monsanto. I think that was the, the people who made the, the aspartame. But he pushed it through. He got it through with his lobbying work. Anyway, so it was approved by the FDA. It became part of the food. And during the first Iraq war, she told the government, please, when you read about aspartame, what it does, please do not send our boys and girls in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Don't send them diet sodas because they're sitting in 112 degrees weather. And over 89 degrees, it turns into formaldehyde. She said they are drinking by the time they come off the out of the desert. You know, the drinks have been sitting there on pallets. Right. Right. They go on the cooler so that they have a nice cold drink. Right. They're literally drinking formaldehyde cocktails. Oh, my gosh. And she said they ignored it, that that's what they sent, the boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And she said within 20 years after all this happened, more than 40,000 soldiers have died of what they, they cannot explain why they died, mm-hmm. but it went to their head. They just went crazy, mm-hmm. committed suicide. More than 20,000 soldiers have died from what they say simply call Iraq war syndrome. But there sure. was nothing wrong with them. Right. And they came home, they were happy, and all of a sudden that formaldehyde started affecting their brains mm-hmm. and they have died. And so it's a very dangerous uh, substance that is still used today. You know, S- side story has nothing to do with well, implants. Well, and it does. But it, it does yeah. because um, a lot of the byproducts from the atomic bomb have been used in different things that create, like it turns into formaldehyde, et cetera. I would never be able to give you all the details around that, but think about Dow Corning's impact with Agent Orange. And then Good point. into implants, and it basically bankrupt them with the implants. Yeah. But same makeup of chemicals, and we're putting them in our bodies. So, and, you know, I have to say one thing. The more I, I was coming into you a lot back in, um, oh, before... Before 2000, mm-hmm. in, in the first part of 2000, et cetera, mm-hmm. when you opened your new store. But I was really doing my research around chemicals and, and 
deficiencies, et cetera, in nutrition. And um, it just became so apparent that when things are FDA approved, they're probably the worst ones for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Mm -hmm. more things I could find that weren't FDA Mm -hmm. approved Mm -hmm. seemed to be just clean and from the earth and part of how our bodies function. Mm -hmm. As opposed to these FDA approved things. Yeah, we know now that it is kind of a revolving door, right? With the chemical companies and the pharmaceutical companies and the FDA, they just rotate. It's like a revolving door. So it definitely is a problem. So Mary, I I do want to talk a little bit about some of these acronyms that we see on websites or that doctors are talking about Mm -hmm. on podcasts and, and people who have breast implant in the illness. So when you go to the healingbreastimplantillness.com website, you see terminology such as BII, which stands for breast implant illness. But there's another one that is called BIAALCL, BIAALCL. It's an acronym for Breast Implant Associated Anaplastic Large Cell Lymphoma. Often occurring 8 to 10 years after surgery, symptoms of breast implant-associated anaplastic large-cell lymphoma, the BIA-ALCL, include pain and swelling near the implant. Women with textured breast implants, as opposed to smooth, are at an increased risk of developing BIA-ALCL. So it is a form of cancer, but at the same time, they are talking about how difficult it is to diagnose. And when you look at some of the reports, they're actually saying it's one in 100,000 women. And so they, a lot of doctors brush it off that it is very rare and we shouldn't worry about it. And usually these are the doctors that do the implants. They don't want to scare you that there is an increased risk of developing some kind of a lymphatic cancer. But on the other hand, I was listening to a podcast and this doctor said that it is really difficult to do actual testing on the dangers of implants, but because he said, at this point, only about 1% of women with implants have problems. What this doctor said also is that it is hard to get anybody to commit to some type of long-term study and to find a placebo group Hmm. to say, so you guys have nothing. We want to find out if you develop cancer. And then here we give you implants and let's see if you develop cancer because to some women, it can be 20 years, 30 years, 10 years Mm -hmm. before they have it. And I do believe that since we talked earlier about the hormone disruptors, it could be a combination of things that when the hormones are disrupted, especially estrogens and progesterone, if they're out of balance, then it increases the risk of breast cancer. Not to talk about just already the genetics. So when women decide to have an implant because of cosmetic reasons, Mm -hmm. then at that point, they're not talking about their own genetics. They just say, hey, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to get. Women who have had breast cancer and had double mastectomy, they may do it because of emotional reasons. Say, I do want to, I lost my breast, but I don't want to lose my my Mm self-esteem. So I have these, I have the reconstructive surgery there are, in my opinion, there are more reasons to make that association. But at the same time, you notice that quite a few women are having these issues and are very worried about it, but it doesn't always come out. And so maybe doctors will say, well, it's 
they didn't have the cancer from the breast implants. They had cancer because of blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So they don't really want to make that link. Now, the FDA has been involved with the breast implants because more and more women were expressing issues. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's been going on with the FDA? Well, it actually all started with this organization, the by Nicole's, but her name is when yeah. we started this and how the, all the problems she had. But it started gathering all these women that became part of the organization. And they put out there, they showed the studies of the illnesses that they were having and that they were relating exactly to their implants. And it was over 150,000 women, and they, they took it to Congress. And it, that's what that's when the whole group was created. It was called Breast Implant Illness and Healing by Nicole. Wow. And there's actually, I want to make a note of this, because there's actually a, a Facebook page called Breast Implant Illness and Healing by Nicole. There's hundreds of thousands of women in this Facebook group, and it's where I was directed as well to find more information. But it was their own personal experiences, and... They, they wanted to get FDA to take a look at this and, and really work on it. So after years of their activism on the Internet and social media, on May 2, 2019, the FDA issued a statement acknowledging breast plant illness in the systematic symptoms that are caused by the silicone, including various cancers. And there's um, you can look that up. It's breast implant safety is mm. what it's called. Um, but basically they're saying that breast implant, the, it shows all the breast implant studies, the medical case reports, the silicone toxicity, and the silicone gel bleed. And you can find that all in the breast implant safety site. Okay. At that's that on, point in time. That's at the FDA site. That's on the FDA site or on the breast implant illness and healing by Nicole? It's on the same, it's on the healing breast implant illness. Okay, cool. Yeah, you can find it on there. At the same time, this is when they started the release forms that the patients the, had to sign off on. They're showing on these release forms that they provide all the risks involved with implants. And there's actually a black box warning and okay. a checklist. Uh-huh. So this today, as of today, our 2019 um, a woman looking at getting implants definitely has to take a look at that, and they have to read you it. You say 2019 or 2023? 2019. As of 19, mm-hmm. okay. And sign off on it. And then there's a, a full statement, um, the FDA statement, acknowledging s- systematic symptoms from breast implants. There's a whole list. They're admitting it. They're, this is a thing. It's no longer considered a possibility even though we don't have, like, you can't test that. You can't do studies on it. Just like you're saying, it's too right. difficult to yeah. do. Too many symptoms. Too many symptoms in too many different bodies. How it reacted in me as opposed to somebody else, you know, the same demographics, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. And it's just totally different. How your body can handle the toxins. Yeah. Well, maybe what will help, uh, there is another clip I would like to share with you and the listeners, uh, again, from the same podcast, The Heal is Real, a podcast hosted by Abby Eastwood and Debbie Mack. It's all focused on sharing stories with women who have had breast implants removed and also with professionals who do the procedure. The Heal is Real is a listening dog media production. And now Robin Tout 
You can find her there as a former teacher and three-time cancer survivor. After reconstructive surgery, she began to get symptoms of breast implant illness. So she had breast cancer. So let's uh, listen to that. Yes, Robin. This is the thing. This is what everybody says when if you decide that you're going to explant, if you are having issues with your breast implant, the most important thing is to find a surgeon that believes in BII because it's pointless otherwise because they will not take the whole capsule, which I know some surgeons think you should, some surgeons think you shouldn't. But at this moment in time, when we don't know enough about BII, you need someone taking care of you that's going to do the best job they possibly can for you. Absolutely. And I, I'm not going to lie. I'm actually okay with surgeons who did who don't believe in BII. I'm fine with that because you, I, I just feel like you're never going to convince 100% of the population to believe a certain thing. And if they don't believe in it and they really don't think it's happening, I'm okay with that. But don't don't treat our patients and don't even see our patients for a consultation because they leave those offices very frustrated. They leave, um, you know, feeling very invalidated. So I definitely recommend finding a surgeon who understands the importance of this. And quite frankly, with the recent FDA announcement, I don't know why any surgeon would ever leave capsules in knowing that's exactly where cancer develops, not just one type of cancer, multiple types of cancer. I mean, that's not even rocket science. You don't even have to go to medical school to be able to figure that out. Let's just go back again to when you found out that you had breast cancer and they offered you um, the breast implants in the first place. Now, by that point, that was around 2017. Now, BIA, ALCL was well and truly known at that point. Did your surgeon mention that to you during your consultation, that there was a chance that you could actually get cancer from the implants at this point? The interesting thing about ALCL is the first case of ALCL was in 1997. They knew about it for a really long time. They didn't actually go public with it with the FDA statements until 2011. And when the FDA went public with it in 2011, the plastic surgeon societies in the United States downplayed it. They not only downplayed it, they held a joint seminar and told the members of their societies to downplay this and don't even call it cancer. Do not call it a malignancy. We don't want to alarm patients. Just call it a condition, right? Mm -hmm. So they had known about ALCL long before I was diagnosed in 2017. Um, did my surgeon discuss it with me? No, not necessarily. But I went back and looked at my informed consent forms, and it was on there, and I did sign off on it. But I really did not have the conversation with my doctor about what that meant. And she did know that I knew about it because when I changed my mind about the textured implants, it was because of ALCL. I knew that much, but I didn't know a whole lot else about it. So knowing that they've all known since 2011, I absolutely should have been told and had a, an in-depth conversation about this, especially with my cancer history. And absolutely. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> it is a no-brainer. But they just feel like they know best and they think it's rare, so they don't even think it's worth mentioning. Now, of course, thanks to social media, more and more women are coming forward and sharing their stories about their uh, symptoms and their experience with breast implant illness. But it is, it's really frustrating, isn't it, that it still feels like the medical professionals are not really sitting up and taking notice? It is very disappointing. I've actually watched presentations of some very influential plastic surgeons in the plastic surgery community. And they literally will sit at a conference or sit in a presentation or a CME and 
tell their peers that this is a social media disease that women found on social media and, you know, they kind of make manifest symptoms in their head. And the interesting thing about that is I wasn't even on social media when this happened to me. I had no idea what was going on. Yet my story is the same as your story over in the UK and my friend Robin's story over in Australia and my friend Julie's story in Canada. And I didn't even know these people at the time and I had no idea any of this was going on. So to claim that this is a social media disease that's made up by women who just randomly found a social media post is honestly, it's, it's embarrassing at this point because, you know, ever since the 1970s, women have been saying that they are sick from their implants and women remove their implants and get better. So if there's a doctor that's really still saying these things, you know, again, those are the doctors that should not be seeing our patients because they clearly have not been educated. They clearly don't see the vast amount of people that are suffering from this and that get their health back after having implants removed. Well, that's quite something. It, it ties perfectly with what we were just talking exactly, about. Exactly, yes. It's pretty cool. Social and media disease. Social media mm -hmm. disease. Because people are talking about it, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden that is not real, but doctors denying that something is happening mm -hmm. uh, all is, is all of a sudden full of the science. A doctor doesn't always have time to read the science. No. Many of them literally are fed the information they need to disperse to their patients. Mm -hmm. They don't have time. They have a life outside of being in practice. And... I get it, totally understandable. Mm -hmm. But if you get the wrong information fed, there is a big problem down the line because people still look at doctors as the all-knowing power when it right. comes to medicine. Mm -hmm. So important. So Danica Patrick, former race car driver, is also helping to bring more awareness. Uh, mm -hmm. She started her own podcast. It's called The Pretty Intense podcast the pretty intense podcast and she was featured on people magazine on november 7 2022 she doesn't really talk about the toxins in the body but it is still i, I think people who want to read that article it's nice she really talks about what she has done and that it it triggered her so she had her breast she had her breast implants removed she did it also for cosmetic reasons mm -hmm. uh, race car driver training very hard not having much of a of a breast uh, size and felt uh, being amongst the boys that she was not sexy so she really said it she did the implants but she started having all kinds of problems for her for somebody who was also just as fit as you are in her case she couldn't come out of bed she had to sleep for days uh, had a lot of issues uh, for her, and uh, eventually she decided. And this decided is a woman at the top of at her the game. At the top of her game, I you're mean, absolutely right. Because I think she had them put in in 2013 or something, and then she had them removed last year, and that's 2022. Right, it was a short duration, probably six years worth or yeah. seven years worth. And so she now totally accepts herself for what she is and who she is, and and. Uh, well, you know, she really is looking at alternative medicine. She is, she's yeah, detoxing all different avenues yes yeah she is so um, i'm proud of her to bring awareness she talks in a podcast about it but you know obviously she also talks to other people um, do you know who mel robbins is no mel robbins is a um, author mel, mel, mel m-e-l yeah mm -hmm. she has a lot of great information as well bringing awareness to this mm -hmm. same thing happened with her and she actually went to the same clinic i went to 
uh-huh. uh, two years ago or so. She's kind of known as a comedian, and she's really interesting to listen to. She's got some great information out there, and she didn't get implants until, I think, 47 years old. And I think it was within three years she had them removed. Don't quote me on that. But if you want to know more about her story and her experience, look up Mel Robbins. YouTube. YouTube would be a great place okay. to find her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Danica Patrick says over here, she said, God gave me little ones. So ever since I was young, I'd look at before and after photos of breast implants and think, that looks so good. Mm-hmm. I thought that if I got them, I would pull my whole look together and make me feel much more feminine and sexy. Mm-hmm. Two months after a NASCAR race in Atlanta, Patrick underwent breast augmentation surgery. For the first three years, all was good, she says. Then in 2017, she started noticing changes in her body and energy level, including fatigue and hair loss. She did not make the connection to her implants until she came across a series of videos on social media about breast implant illness or yep, VII. social media disease. Social media <laughs> disease, that's right. That, that was early 2022. She said, I probably watched a hundred different women's stories, she says. I was like, this is me. There is controversy surrounding BII, which was first recognized by the FDA in 2019, but is largely self-reported. It's generally considered to be the body's inflammatory response to foreign objects like a silicone or saline implant. And that is explained by Dr. Sean Parson, an Arizona-based plastic surgeon who treated Patrick. So she started having issues. And when you listen to her podcast, she gets much deeper into it uh, about her symptoms. And it is amazing how she had to pull it all together. And she thought, if I work out harder, right. then I'd probably be better. But she just could not improve her workouts and got more and more tired and needed longer recovery times. Like you say, mm-hmm. lady on the top of her game. You know, right. in her early 30s. Uh, Talk about mental acuity. I mean, she's mm-hmm. got to be thinking really fast when she's in those race cars, you know yeah. what I'm oh, saying? Oh, yeah, split seconds. And um, that was, it just diminished, a lot of that diminished, but she also had um, weight gain problems. Oh, if I just right. work out harder, yeah. she mm, thought. That's right. But the fatigue was so much, she needed more recovery. Yeah, she, she realized she was gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who was that fit, Mm-hmm. That that doesn't fit, right? Mm-mm. Right. <laughs> that does not fit. So why do you think, I'm, I'm close to wrapping up the show with you, which is really a lot of fun. Thank you so much for all your honesty. Why do you feel women are so compelled to have implants? Is it really just because of self-esteem issues or not? You know, my friend Eden yeah. said it pretty well. Mm. She said I was seduced into the look, into what I thought I needed. That in itself, social media can be, that can be a social media disease is the seduction, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. of what it's supposed to be, you know, of how women are supposed to look. And I believe that a lot of it has to do with um, self-confidence. And if, if I just do this, then I'll have the self-confidence. Correct. Because I'll, I'll look this way, then yeah. I'll have the self-confidence. Yeah. Um, that doesn't come from an implement that you put in your body. That comes from within. You know, just being yourself and knowing yourself. But I think that it's the seduction of what's just possible and it's super simple and maybe it's affordable. Seriously, I think about the explant and women that now are in a position where they know they need to get them out. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive. You know, it's not for everybody. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so, you need to replace them every so many years, like you said earlier. When they get them in. Yeah. You have to replace them every so... Now mm-hmm. that they know that, that cost should be a factor along with going under in surgery, yeah. you know, every eight years. Yes. But the cost to get them out is more expensive than putting them in. And it's quite an ordeal. You yes. Know? And there's all the... Everything that goes with it. But why do you think they're so drawn to get them? I really believe it's society's image of women. Mm. That women are supposed to, it's a kind of a double standard. It's not like, you know, the men think that women should look a, look a certain way. I'm not blaming this on men. It's the perception women get. It really is. Where did it start? I don't know. Right. The Why did I thing? think that I look like a boy? Yeah. And because I thought I looked like a boy, I felt like I looked like a boy. You know what right. I'm saying? So the feeling of the feminism that I wanted back. And you think that everybody who looks at you yeah. is looking at your breast and say, was it a boy or a girl? Yeah. No, it's not true. You know, We no. don't know what people look at, what people are thinking when they look at us. Right. When we, when we feel good about ourselves, you know, we mm-hmm. feel good. We feel that people are looking at us. Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's the same way on the negative side. You think there's something wrong with you and everybody sees it, and they don't. People are in their own world. Well, and I got to say that just the experience that I had with the implants, there's something wrong on the inside. And implants create that conflict with your soul. They really mm-hmm. do because they're foreign matter in you, mm-hmm. you know. And you're going to walk around with, oh, I'm kind of hiding, hiding something. I'm yeah. kind of hiding something yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's just not right with your soul. It's not you. I remember one of my friend's fathers saying, because we were playing together or whatever, and we were acting out, and he said, look, little girls are to be seen and not heard. You know, and mm-hmm. there's, there was, mm-hmm. so that's before my generation. It's, yeah. I mean, it's been going on forever, like mm. you said. And I told you earlier about, I used to get teased about being flat yeah. in grade school and mm-hmm. high school, well, not high school probably because... Eventually, I went through puberty, but (laughs) I had the boys on the playground. I remember one time, there was kind of the common joke, hey, you should should head down to Phillips 66, the gas station down there. Really? Why should I do that? (laughs) Well, they fix flats. You know, so it's it's been around and it's been indoctrinated. It's been taught, learned, and expected. So, Uh I mean, I'm, I'm perfect as I am. Yeah. This is how I was made. I'm perfect. And you yeah. keep working on yourself to maintain good Absolutely. health. Absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with that. And working on yourself to really understand yeah. humans. Well, <laughs> and, and, an article over here, an association with silicone gel, breast implant rupture, and fibromyalgia. So fibromyalgia is uh, very painful in joints and specifically certain muscle muscles. There are about 18 points that we say when they hurt, let's say in the back of, the back of your skull, mm-hmm. in the neck, the back of the neck, uh, on top of your shoulder blades, on your sides of your rib cage, uh, the inside of your knee, when you press the inside of the knees, the inside of the elbows, there is about 18 points. And they say when you have 11 of them, you have fibromyalgia. And for the longest time, it was explained as you have aluminum toxicity, that eats away the muscles. And the reason why that is, is because you lost magnesium. Magnesium is important to protect the muscles. Mm -hmm. So when the magnesium is gone, the muscle is exposed 
to aluminum, to whatever comes around, and aluminum starts eating away muscle tissue, and that's where you have that. So uh, for the longest time, for 30 years, I've known that you use a combination of a, a supplement uh, with malic acid, which you find in apple peel, malic acid, and magnesium. The malic acid absorbs the aluminum and removes it. The magnesium puts the buffer back on. And women of men and women using this, Within 48 hours, the right dosage, the pain is gone. So it's impressive. So mm-hmm. I, I, I knew that for a long time. And you read different things that can happen with fibromyalgia. But it was about 2015 when I had an interview with a medical doctor, who, Dr. Michael Platt. And he wrote a book called Adrenaline Dominance. And he talks about the, the what happens when we have too much adrenaline. And one of the symptoms he mentions is fibromyalgia. And so uh, fibromyalgia, I thought, well, that's interesting. And the first two pages of that chapter in the book, he does talk about what the medical world would describe as fibromyalgia and how they would treat it with pain pills and Celebrex and all that. But then he says, in his opinion, the true cause of fibromyalgia, in his experience, and he was a medical doctor for 41 years, was anger, suppressed anger, and suppressed self-esteem issues. So whenever you are reminded of that Mm -hmm. in your life, there is a slight tensing of muscles. You know, when you you have seen a car accident and you remember somebody who had died on the side of the road, every time you drive by that point, Mm. you remember, oh, my God, that's where the person died. That's where the person died. So traumatic events. Muscle memory or cell memory. Yeah. And Mm. so every time you are reminded of that trauma, either in yourself, sexual abuse, or being called names, being bullied, there is this memory, there's this trauma. I mean, you're scared mm-hmm. bad when this happens to you at times when you're threatened so much. So throughout life, every time you think about that, there is a slight tensing of muscles, which he says is what caused the fibromyalgia. Now, I thought about it when they saw talk about an association of breast implant rupture and fibromyalgia. I thought many women put breast implants in because they have low self-esteem issues. Mm -hmm. Why did they have low self-esteem? Probably because, like you had also, you were bullied when you were younger about something that you weren't thinking about, but that is what happened. And so I guess that is called bullying, isn't it? Well, I didn't really look at it that way. No, you didn't. Mm -hmm. Because you... You, you thought these were nice people, but the words, in a way, that were being They're used harmful. are harmful, right? Mm-hmm. And so it says, of here, silicon gel from ruptured implants may escape the scar capsule that forms around breast implants and become extra-capsular silicone. A previously published study found that women with extra-capsular silicone gel were at higher risk of reporting that they were diagnosed with fibromyalgia. There have been a limited number of studies addressing this association in the literature. This was published by PubMed. So when I read that, I thought, wow, could there be a connection with traumatic events resulting in, and I'm not talking about you per se, but so many women that you have read the stories from, self-esteem issues. If you feel right now, I am perfect the way I am. If we can teach our children and grandchildren that they'll find the way they are, just develop yourself, learn, Mm -hmm. become educated, 
be practical, learn a trade, whatever it is, build your self-esteem from a young age instead of putting children down. Right. There is trauma that can affect the way we grew up as, as, as adults and then cause depression and anxiety, self-esteem issues, antidepressants. I mean, my God, antidepressants mm-hmm. are rampant. You know, and so that's a whole nother podcast on its own. That's too, another right? podcast. Boy, I have got all these ideas just talking to you. <laughs> so anyway, good to have a connection. I I I I know we need to wrap this up. It's been a long podcast. I do hope that but people it's are true. still listening. I mean, I it want is. I want to emphasize what you just said there. Thanks. To teach our children that you're okay the way you are. You know, to help them with their self esteem. You pointed it out with how different each one of your three children are. Totally. And just let them expound on their their gifts. Yeah. You know, their talents. Yeah. As opposed to expecting or demanding certain things out of them where that's just not part of their makeup. Right? Mm-hmm. That was a lesson I had to learn just through my personal training career. You know, there's certain people, they just don't get the same kind of high working out mm. that other people do. Yeah. <laughs> and so point. you have to find different modalities that yep. help them enjoy it. Mm-hmm. so that they can help their body. It's just, it's all of that. But if you j- start judging, well, for Pete's sakes, you just have to change your mindset around this. Yeah, It's not part of their makeup. Mm-hmm. It's That's a, right. It's, you know, it, it's all factors of yeah. life. It really is. Yeah. Uh, I have learned in my life, as you have learned in your life, we all do, it's the experiences that we have, the relationship that we build, the... Uh, the the feelings that come up, the way we were raised, all those combined help us make decisions in life today. Why you know the decisions that are important or that are really significant in moving forward mm-hmm. instead of stagnation. So right, gathering information. Yeah, and then decide on your own. That's right. And that's why you said in the very beginning, you just, this podcast for you is all about bringing awareness. You become aware, but you, you have this tremendous experience of 30 plus years of living a life where you focus on health, never thinking that breast implants had anything to do with that, but you stayed the course. You said, I got to keep working on, on this, on health and family and taking care of myself and then starting with your detox program and your your cleansing and your healthier diet, et cetera, et cetera, that has made you the person who you are today. So it is just, you become aware, you learn, you try, you experiment, there's no forcing here. Nope. And then you come to the conclusion. And now with all that knowledge, you are helping other people to say, hey, I don't judge here. You do whatever you want. I made the decision at the time. There's all sorts of decisions we but make But I made in our the life, decision right? two yes. months ago. Yeah. Then six you weeks. had your breast yeah. implant six weeks. Well, you said you had to wait about a month mm. before you could get right. in. Right. So you made the decision a few months ago, and then six weeks ago you had them removed, and now you're going through the healing process. I I wish you well. Yeah. I Thank really you. appreciate you. Thank you. And I just want to point out, too, that a lot of women, when they wake up from surgery, their symptoms are gone. A lot of them. You know, the majority that you'll read about. Um, I think Danica, she was one of them. Hmm. Mine, not so much. The breathing. There's just that yeah. heavy Amazing. feeling in the um, the tightness, the chest tightness, and the choking feeling uh-huh. was gone immediately. Um, and other things are just now starting to come back, like I said, with 
you know, experiencing different things in life. But again, I wasn't nearly as sick as a lot of these women, mm-hmm. you know. And was there's early onset of all these things? And mine just was long delayed because of the 33 years? I don't know. Yeah. We don't know these things. But we do know from the studies done now that these things exist. And yep. you should at least be aware of them. Yeah, the stories are When real. contemplating or perhaps you have a loved one mm-hmm. that you're seeing these things in. Mm-hmm. And there's no explanation for it. So... Great. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, and I want to thank you listeners for listening, going through the whole thing. If you like more, go to my website, healthinfocusnow.com to listen to other podcasts and more to come. Sign up if you like, so you'll be sent you an email when there is another episode coming out and read some of the articles that I have published. I thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again next time.